0: Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app.
1: So, welcome to the Truth to Power Show. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan, and this is Radio for Brooklyn. Today, I'm going to be talking to Sharice Francis, who is a Southeast Queens based poet, speculative fiction writer, blogger, and literary curator. She has published works in journals and anthologies, including um, Bone Bouquet, uh, African Voices, Newtown Literary, BlackBerry Magazine. Magazine and Near Kin, a collection of works and uh, arts inspired by Octavia Butler. Additionally, she has published two chapbooks, Lucy's Bone Scrolls and Variation on Settling Seedlings. Um, her current projects include her Afrofuturism inspired blog, Futurist, Futuristically Ancient. <laughs> I know I have trouble saying that. And her Southeast, uh, Southeast Queens based pop up bookshop mobile library project, J-Expressions. For J-Expressions, she received a 2017 Queen's Art Council um, grant to do the Reading and Writing Remedy Series and was finalist for the Honey and Wax Book Collecting Prize. Welcome, welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. So um, I guess we'll start a little bit talking about um, your uh, chapbook, Lucy's Bone Scrolls. Uh, the Black Speculative Mystery School. So, tell us a little bit about how that originated and.
0: Um, well, the chapbook um, started um, with my work in Afrofuturism. I had started a blog blog called Futuristically Ancient a few years, well, in 2012. It's not really a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but um, basically, for my blog, I would go around to various events. Um, including festivals or, like, movies. And um, one event that I went to was the Afrofuturism Conference at the New School. Uh And there I got a lot of inspiration, and I decided to write a few poems in response to everything that happened there. And so that was the first set of poems I wrote. That is the first part of Lucy's Bone Scrolls. Then I went to another exhibition, uh, an exhibition in um, Brooklyn. Um, I think it's called uh, Black Magic or Afro Magic. I'm not sure which one, mm-hmm. but that inspired me to think of another set of poems in response one those. So recently, um, I met uh, my publisher, uh, Malcolm Boyd who um, does three-legged elephant publishing, and he asked me if I wanted to publish something. And I thought, the only thing I had ready was these set of poems, so I thought, why not put them together into a single book? And that became Lucy's Bone Scrolls. Um, The title actually comes from, Lucy is an important name in my life. My mother is from St. Lucie in Barbados, and my dad is from Point Michelle, which is in St. Luke's Parish in Dominica. And there's also St. Lucia in the Caribbean. So I thought, Lucy is a reoccurring theme for me, and it means light, so why not have that as the title of the book? And for the front cover of the book, it's actually Lucille Armstrong, who is the wife of uh, Louis Armstrong. Mm -hmm. So it all ties in together. Good, good.
1: And for those uh, people who haven't seen the book cover, uh, if you ch- describe a little bit more of the uh, the book cover and how it informs uh, the, the, the um, narrative and such, or the, the story?
0: Yeah, so um, when I saw this um, picture of Lu- Lucille Armstrong and Louis Armstrong in Egypt, uh, the other part of the picture because I kinda cut the picture in half for the cover. But the other part was Louis Armstrong playing a trumpet towards the Sphinx and the pyramids. And I thought it was such a compelling image that I wanted that as my book cover. But the part I really wanted to focus on was Lucille Armstrong sitting underneath the Sphinx because I thought it kind of showed this kind of her as the avatar kind of mm. of, the, of the Sphinx. And since I'm a Leo, that's my zodiac sign, I thought like, you know, that kind of represented me in a way like I feel like a lioness and the Sphinx kind of represents me in terms of feeling like I'm a mixture of many cultures and many languages and um, many places. So I thought it was a good representation to, to my first book.
1: Yeah, now I hear a lot of people using the term third culture third culture mm-hmm. kid or a third culture mm-hmm. child, meaning that their kind of parents came from one culture and that they're mm-hmm. kind of amalgamation of yes. or they're kind of a um, a different, they're using their they their own
2: mm-hmm.
1: version of it. So I think in some ways what you're saying speaks to that,
2: would you mm-hmm.
0: say? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I feel like um, I always kind of call myself a mutt and I yeah. feel like most people on this planet are too. Like yeah. A lot of the politics today are emphasizing this idea of nativity or that you know we're only one thing but the truth is we're a mixture of various cultures and people who came before us Mm -hmm. and that even shows in our language Um, one of my processes as a writer is looking up the etymologies of words Mm -hmm. and when you look up the etymologies of words you realize how like it's kind of ridiculous to tell someone to speak English mm. when you look up all the words, and most of the English words are Spanish, French, German, yeah. Arabic, you know, even African um, languages,
1: so. Yeah, there's a great quote, uh, that's many times circulated about how, you know, um, many languages borrow from languages, but English, you know, steals from them and uh-huh. falls them down blind alleys and robs <laughs> that and such, all this kind of very, uh, very humorous, uh, commentary in the English language how it, mm-hmm. it's kind of um, used or drawn from so many different sources mm-hmm. so um, now the book uh, Lucy's Bone Scrolls has it's very you know I, was re- I read through it and uh, I read it and uh, I feel like it was it was so ambitious in many ways and mm-hmm. how in the, in the and the it's speci- especially exhibited in the titles of the poems mm-hmm. that you have very um, you know kind of big picture
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know uh, one of the titles of the poems. One of the titles of one poem is called "The Image of God as the Cowardly Lion," mm-hmm. and then in parentheses, "How to Act Despite My Fears." <laughs> and I think that's a great uh, invocation of so mm-hmm. many, uh, you know, different uh, things, but at the same time, grounding it in mm-hmm. the personal. Yeah. So I would say that's what I got out of the, the collection as a whole that you're you know, taking on the big picture, but also grounding in very much in the personal, mm-hmm. through wordplay and uh, in the way that it's arranged. So if you talk a bit about your process mm-hmm. and how you were able to, um, you talked a little bit about it, but just go a little more, zoom into it, yeah?
0: Yeah, um, as I said before, I love looking up etymologies of words, and um, part of my process is looking how, taking the, as my friends say, the mundane and making it magical, We say things every day that we don't even think about. We do things every day that we don't even think about. And I wanted to kind of like break those things down and get to a deeper level of understanding. So, like, you know, the image of God as the cowardly lion, you know. Um, We tend to see God as this kind of abstract thing that is separate from us. But what if God was this, you know, everyday person just trying to make it, just trying to move forward despite all the fears and dangers of just living every day. And so I kind of wanted to create kind of God in my own image, you know, playing on that idea of we we are made in the image of God. Yeah, why why don't you read
1: that poem, since we brought it up, um, and then we can uh, look at some of the the way how it plays out in the poem, which I thought was very good.
0: So this is the image of God as the cowardly lion, how to act despite my fears. Finding a way to move on is the endless procession of a missionary preaching survival. How to outlive the hollows of wounds. Dance like needles within wounds. Dance around wounds. Dress wounds like a gun, gun like sensei like costume character like mummy medicine divine despite your feet trembling at each step make it a dance make it shake the earth make the rocks cry out with your steps find a way to speak magic even when you know your image will be sold and will be sacrificed on the world's pole Always be ready to dance once again, easing down the road into resurrection.
1: Nice, nice. Thank you, thank you. So I think for me, the invocation of the uh, the magical and the magic, and uh, as well as the um, connection between these narratives we have about resurrection, about God, mm-hmm. with the personal about uh, you know being able to. Um, you know, and the whole book speaks to that being able to ground oneself in in that in that narrative and find it in a way that um, yeah, we talked a little bit about how you're able to connect to the personal and such.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so how it connects to your personal your your poetry in general. Like mm-hmm. how, where where you're coming from in the in regards to the, you know, resurrections and magic and how that all connects mm-hmm. in the body and stuff, yeah.
0: Well, um, growing up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Yeah. Um, I still go every now and then. Um, so, like, I got a lot of inspiration from that background. Good, good. But also, like, studying other religions and studying other cultures and seeing common themes and common threads of this idea of resurrection that... Despite everything you go through, there's always a chance to come back and a chance to start over again, and that's something that I feel like is that common theme throughout many cultures, and um, that gives people a lot of courage, you know, when when you have. And that includes myself, you know, days where you feel like, you know, you can't go on or you feel like you're nothing or you feel like you have nothing to offer the world, kind of similar to the Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz, you know, like I'm too scared to do that. Well, you know, part of how I got over a lot of my anxiety about living in the world was to just act it out, to just yeah. do it despite all those fears that you have, and that the more you do something, the more the world seems less scary, because you're doing it. Yeah,
1: it's very good. I think it's a very good philosophy and approach, yeah. and I think that uh, uh, it's very good, and I think like, well, let's just uh, dive a little bit more into how this plays out in this chapter. so let's talk a little bit more about the mm-hmm. mystery school. And how the um, Afrofuturism plays into it.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned
1: a little bit about the kind of um, uh, yeah. talk a little bit about how that plays into the the aesthetic.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, I mentioned that I study a lot of religions and mm-hmm. various spiritualities. So like one thing I've studied is like various mystery schools that they talk about, like Egyptian mystery schools mm-hmm. or Greek mystery schools, and um, Those were interesting to me, and a lot of them are based off of, like, mythological figures. So, like, you have Dionysius Mystery School. You have um, one uh, based off of Demeter. And I thought, you know, why not have my own kind of Mystery School kind of based off of the idea of the Sphinx, you know? And me as a black woman kind of being the incarnation of that Sphinx uh, figure. So I... um, Afrofuturism is now kind of evolving and one evolution it's turning into is the idea of the black speculative. Mm. And so speculative fiction includes fiction, that's science fiction, fantasy, mythology, mysticism, um, magical realism. And so I wanted to use that as what if that is a mystery school? And, um, what would it be like to have a mystery school from the perspective of a black person of color? And so that became the second title of the book. Good, good.
1: So you also have a lot of language of uh, the scientific method and how mm-hmm. this kind of informs
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: this aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the poems uh, is titled, Central Scientific Method Theory of Consciousness' Cycle. Consciousnesses cycle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I guess maybe you could read that one and we can get a better sense of how uh, also how the um, the form itself, the form of the poem, how it's presented, kind of informs its meaning. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of play with the scientific uh,
0: okay.
1: uh, yeah, model. Yeah.
0: Um, sure. Um, so I opened with this quote from Ralph Ellison. It's, called, it's from um, the book Invisible Man, which is one of my favorite books. It's The mind which has conceived a plan of living must never lose sight of the chaos against which that pattern was conceived. Purpose. What do you want to learn? How are manifest destiny building a house and industrial society alike? Research. Find out as much as you can. Jesus told Peter the church would be built on the rock. Peter means rock. Peter, the same man who ejected Jesus three times. Peter, the root of petrification. The wild wood turned to stone. The living matter replaced with minerals to preserve structure. To turn to stone out of fear. To turn to stone to remember. Medusa turned men who feared her into stone. Looking at the wild mother did not turn them into stone fear of her did. The foundation of civilization is stone, is fear. The fear of the wild mother turns you into stone, a prophecy full of itself. The monument, the obelisk, the dejed, the statue, the pyramid, the shrine of a muse, the status, the institution, the industry, the secret society, the fixed Image, the building, the museum, the dead image, the tomb, the gravestone, the mausoleum, the reminder, the memory, the skeleton, the body of Lot's wife, the hoodoo rock, the extension beyond the living self, the art, the technology, the resurrection, the tin man's gospel. Hypothesis. Try to predict the answer to the problem. Another term for hypothesis is educated guess. This is usually stated like, if I do something, then this will occur. If we learn, we remember, we create, we build against fear, against insecurity, against the outside, against the other, against the wild, against the dark, against the wounding, against the void, then we all want eternal life. We all fear death. We all want safety. We all avoid. Experiment. Design a test or procedure to confirm or disprove your hypothesis. Design it in a reproducible manner. Why am I writing this? Experience tells me that I fear my own mind will eat me alive if I do not let it express itself into form. My mind fears forgetting. My mind fears being forgotten. My mind fears it will not understand itself and you. Analysis. Record what happened during the experiment, also known as data. This poem is my record, is remembered by my heart. I. Re- Spread it everywhere so there are no outsiders. I have decorated my cage against the variable chaos looming outside the white picket fence. Conclusion, review the data. Check to see if your hypothesis was correct. History repeats because we do not bother to investigate ourselves, do not learn the roots of our own actions, do not answer our own primal question. This is not a linear process, but instead is a constant cycle of inquiry. For this self continues to forget. I will do it again. Thank you, thank you.
1: I really appreciated the idea that kind of connecting the the scientific narrative mm-hmm. and how um, you know we're active in that process. Mm-hmm. You know that we can't just allow these. Um, Process is to stand out outside of ourselves and function mm-hmm. without our engagement, or our involvement.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah. So um, yeah. How would you say? Um, is the line specifically that you know history repeats because we do not bother to investigate ourselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about how uh, what you're feeling on towards uh, the idea of investigating ourselves and how that plays into your.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Um, that is actually a huge part of my process is the idea of questioning, Mm. because um, a lot of times we kind of just do things because it's been normalized to do so, and we don't think about why we're doing it. Mm. Um, That's kind of why I kind of have the kind of repetition kind of sound in the poem was the idea of things don't have to be the way they are we continuously do it over and over and over again, and then we, it feels real, it feels like reality. Mm-hmm. So part of you know using the scientific method was kind of playing against the idea of the ritual and the cycle, but as a form of questioning, and that just as much as we normalize things through ritual, we need to ritualize the questioning as well. So we don't continue to do things that are harmful to others, that are oppressive towards others, that are doing it just out of fear.
1: Yeah, essentially yeah, how you switch between the language of, uh, and this is something in the work, but how you switch naturally between the language of scientific inquiry and mm-hmm. the spiritual religious language of ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think with, uh, with religious language there's a kind of, um, you know, with ritual specifically there's kind of a disengagement.
2: Mm-hmm. sometimes
1: in ritual, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find that, how do you navigate that, or how do you uh, feel about ritual? And you were talking a little bit about how connecting with ritual, in a sense, so mm-hmm. how do you navigate between the scientific and the, the spiritual? And um, what do you mean, maybe in your upbringing, or uh-huh. how that's kind of played out? or
0: I feel like um, it goes back to the idea of, like, questioning. Yeah. Because, um... Like you said, a lot of it is kind of like this detachment because yeah. it's expected for you to just follow something and not care about where it came from. Mm. Um, and so, part of my kind of forming my own identity and standing in my own truth was questioning things that people told me was truth. Mm. Like oh, the Bible was written by God. Like, no, the Bible was written by mm. a bunch of people. Mm. And um, it has been translated over, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. And because of that, like, it's not this infallible thing. Mm. Like, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be people who have their own agendas in it. Mm. So we can't just take it with, you know, without... Um, Questioning it without investigating it, interrogating it, yeah. and I feel like that's the relationship between spirituality and like institutional religion. Mm. Institutional religion is you follow it no matter what. Spirituality is you're balancing yourself between what everybody tells you is truth and your own truth, and seeing where where that is, you know, where where you place yourself in all of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of your writing you're kind of bringing out the, the double meanings mm-hmm. or the, the multiple meanings of words, and how mm-hmm. in the, on the page it plays out. You can see it on the page, but it may not be um, easy to communicate to the listener. But mm-hmm. uh, I think you're able to bring out the um, the wordplay and such to be able to bring mm-hmm. out meanings, subtle meanings. Mm-hmm. So if you talk a bit about your process and kind of how you're able to meld in or to give some we can give some examples of how mm. you're able to do that. yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, because um, back to the etymology process yeah. that I use is you you find out how like wh- language is so fluid. Right. And like what we think a word currently means now is hasn't always been true. Like words change over time. Like, for example, I found out about the word litter. Right. The word litter, we think it means to just throw away trash when actually it originally meant like a caravan or seat seat. In which royalty was um, inside and people carried the royals. And I thought that was an interesting thing and how that became throwing away trash. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, language is oftentimes about associations between um, what's currently going on, different people's agendas, even like the word meaning itself is kind of related to the word consensus, what the average person thinks something means. But that doesn't mean that's all of the meanings. Yeah. There's alternative meanings to things. There's other ways to think about words. And so a lot of that I play on in my own work is that like we, what are the other meanings to things outside of what we currently think something is? And how can we put all those things together for a, a larger picture? of the relationship between these various
1: meanings. Yeah, I think it connects, uh, I was trying to also bring out a connection between what you were saying just before this, is that uh, when we think about truth, we think about something that's abstract, but then Mm -hmm. on the ground level, you know, we have our own individual um, paths, Mm -hmm. if you will, and they're all kind of responding to the circumstances that we're in, Mm -hmm. and the... uh, Areas between habit, the spaces between habit, mm-hmm. and how that personal truth uh, is something that's not going to be given by anyone else, but comes mm-hmm. from within. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, how do you find uh, in your writing to be able to, you know, kind of sort out uh, kind of things that, you know, be able to really investigate, get deep into that, those places? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: uh, what kind of practices do you do, or kind of some creative process? You talk a little bit about the inspiration.
2: Mm-hmm. for, like,
1: how you're able to, um, you know, in, the, in this book, Lucy's bones where you have, like, um, some paintings or something that you were interacting with mm-hmm. that it created a dialogue. Talk a little bit about that,
2: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I mentioned the exhibition that I looked um, at for the second half of the book, and it's something that I've done as a practice. I love ekphrastic writing, which is, like, looking at, artwork and having a response to it. And I feel like um, that's a part of looking at truth, in a sense, is that, you know, how you respond to something, you know, not to say necessarily that you're absolutely right, it's that you're, you're looking at things from your perspective and understanding your perspective. That's why like, people do Rorschach tests, right? They give you an image, and what do you see in this? And so I kind of see ekrostic writing as like, what do you see in this? Mm-hmm. And what does that reveal about who you are? So a lot of my writing is kind of a, a self-reflection. I'm trying to understand myself. And by understanding myself, I can connect to others in the world.
1: So now the uh, second chapbook you'd written mm-hmm. was uh, variations on uh, settling seedling. And there's a, uh, as we were talking about with uh, wordplay and such, there's mm-hmm. like a slash between S-E-T-T and Ling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seed the slash and Ling. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the whole, the whole chapbook is basically... Kind of playing with and form concrete poems. Mm -hmm. My poem, yeah. So, uh, if you tell us a little bit about how concrete poems kind of inform the meaning.
2: Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
0: So, um, when I was thinking about uh, writing the book, uh, I was actually asked by a Harlequin creature to submit a series of poems for their social justice subscription series. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, like, I had nothing to really offer, so I was like, what do I do? So I had a uh, another chapbook manuscript called Late, um, Lady Liberty Smashing Stones, and that wasn't published yet, but I was looking through it and I was like, hmm, maybe I can take some things out of it and um, create something new out of it, like a found poetry kind of practice. And so when I started like formulating some of the poems, I kind of saw a, a theme of nature and the relationship between language and nature. That a lot of the figurative language we use is based off of natural elements we, we are interacting with every day. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why not create the poems as the forms of nature? So um, one of the first poems is In the Shape of a Leaf, Um, that's the What is Green poem. Uh, Another poem I have is In the Shape of a Tree Trunk, that's called Matrimony's Turn. Uh, One of the last poems that most people find interesting is called Seas of Afar. And so basically, I took the word flow and used the word flow as the seed, and so it's encased into parentheses, and it's throughout the poem in various parts, and it's the seed throughout the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting when we think about uh, these public discourses about returning to nature and finding mm-hmm. our own, uh, you know, the... Emerson, um, kind of, you know, one thing I always think about is tending to one's own garden, or mm-hmm. the idea, I forget the exact quote, I, um, I believe it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said that, or, mm-hmm. no, Voltaire, Voltaire. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so he said, um, you know, in the end we need we need to tend to one's own garden. Mm-hmm. So, kind of meaning that, uh, in my understanding, kind of meaning that, um, you know, we have to kind of tend to, uh, mm-hmm. cultivate the, the proper, um, qualities for society mm-hmm. to function and such, you know? Yeah, so, yeah.
0: we're reflections of nature, like yeah. we're, we're part of nature, we're embedded in nature, everything we use and invent comes out of nature, yeah. so of course our own language is going to mimic that as Yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: So uh, why don't you read one from Unsettling Seedling,
0: okay. so
1: that then uh, we can get a sense of that. Uh, Manuscripts, uh, a book. Yeah.
0: I'll read one of the popular ones. I mentioned "Seed of a Far." Uh-huh. So, "Seed of a Far," dustling, bark, flow, ship, telegram, the sky flow is falling. Flow, cracked mirror. Flow is all flow. My reflection. Flow, my refraction. Flow, a muddy river. Flow stained with flow, shifting, steady. Flow meant flow, a settling flow happens and separation comes flow, strong flow water, earth, fire, air flow, the elements have forgotten how flow, to come together flow, and rise out of the cave flow, remember flow I am too flow, a birth echo chamber flow, of every word flow, remnants of twisting sound mind flow gravel mixed into con flow crete flow, creator flow, griot flow a syncretic founding of home Home flow, understanding flow, under its rain flow, and yet still standing flow. I will rise flow, like a furnace's forgery flow, the loose earth con flow, geels flow, glues flow, the clay turns into green flow, towards the blues flow, and gold sun flow, above and below flow, pan flow, smeared overflow, smite it into a new form flow, a meeting ground flow, and an equal exchange flow. A bridge flow A story of how I got over flow What I offered flow Passing through an aperture flow Gaining an appellation flow Navigating a here flow The application of the tail flow The stars of a bear flow Air guided me flow The greater shadow above covers me And sparks flow Speaks an abundance of light flow
1: Nice, nice, thank you, thank you And I like how on the page it comes through That I am almost see flower and flow and ur er guided me you know it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, um, you know the way in which the, on the page it comes across as a uh, play with word and play with meaning yeah mm-hmm. that's good good so um, yeah so what else coming up for you as far as uh, how you writing is interacting with um, you know now we have uh, with uh, uh, kind of a, a focus on our, our, in pop culture we're starting to see mm-hmm. more of an interest now in for futurism and then uh, just to return to the general thematics and if you talk a little bit about how uh, this is being received, you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in your readers and such,
0: mm-hmm. how the work is being
1: received and such, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, so Afrofuturism is definitely gaining a lot of attention, uh, you know, a lot of artists are kind of like exploring that uh, theme as well, like for example Janelle Monet, you know, her uh, Cindy Mayweather and Dirty Computer um, she's one of my favorite artists. And um, so I'm definitely continuing with that in my own work. Um, I started calling my process Artifact, kind of playing on the word artifact. Oh, nice! Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm calling it the Artifact Archive. And what I'm describing it as is I'm creating my own sacred text. Mm. Kind of like all the work I'm writing is you know, creating my own kind of language And my own kind of exploration of self And so <clears throat> I have two other uh, manuscripts that I've written I mentioned uh, Lady Liberty Smashing Stones yeah. And that's kind of an excavation of the image of Lady Liberty And um, Liberty itself, the idea And um, that's a series of po- poems around those things And then I have a longer manuscript called And the Water Breaks, Breaks, Breaks. And that's um, using the figure Mami Wata, which is an Afro-diasporic deity. She's kind of like the mermaid figure, kind of related to Aphrodite. Mm. And um, I'm using her in terms of an exploration of language and the fluidity of language and how that's kind of a divine power, the fluidity of identity, the fluidity of language, the fluidity of sound, and how that can create a larger picture of understanding for ourselves and meaning for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think that from your website and also from what I gather, you talk about how it's important to recognize that, um, you know, we don't live in a vacuum and that no man is a... Um, you no know, human being is an island, kind mm-hmm. of a thing, and what I'm gathering from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of just to remind the listener, and those just connect, I know you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you're saying about kind of your personal life fact and all that, mm-hmm. that actually we're speaking, we're kind of inhabiting spaces that are very much communal. Like, right? mm-hmm. you know, we're just seeing them through the lens of, you know, personal, uh, yeah. The personal, yeah.
0: And um, a lot of us, um, think that you know just because we're here now that's all there is yeah. but I feel like you know there's a greater dialogue between everybody on this planet between past, present and future for example mm. um, one of my favorite symbols is the Sankofa symbol it's a West African West African uh, Dinkra symbol and it means to in order to move forward you have to go back mm. and so for me it represents that kind of recycling and going back and bringing what you need and bringing uh, knowledges from the past to create futures. And that's what a lot of my work is, is that digging through the past to have an insight that you didn't expect Mm. before. And I do that in storytelling, in language, just my entire process.
1: Yeah, I Mm. I think that when you say or when you kind of Couple that with that nothing is new under the sun. Mm-hmm. We recognize, and this is also kind of coming from the website that you had these two uh, mm-hmm. quotes put up as being your favorite sayings. I think these two things kind of inform the idea that we're kind of, uh, you know, we, we're kind of disrupting the idea of the individual or the, the mm-hmm. personal. And some of you know some of the recurring themes of, of this show is that you know with the the idea that the personal is political is part of the idea that. There's no private space that we think about privacy and all that, Mm -hmm. and privacy issues, but actually we're kind of connected to the larger whole, and that all of our experiences are connected to that community, and that we're all Mm -hmm. human beings, we're all, and this uh, this kind of politicization of, you know, the other is such a Mm -hmm. problematic thing. And how yeah. we need to recognize that we're all inhabiting human spaces and Yeah, and that.
0: that's one of like the major themes of Afrofuturism is yeah. promoting the idea of the, of the alien and that yeah. we're all aliens. Yeah. Um, all. Um, the problem with like a lot of the politics today is that certain people see themselves as normal yeah. and that everybody else is a problem to be fixed, yeah. when it's like no one's normal you know everyone's strange to each other yeah. and so i advocate for that understanding that of differences that differences are okay we don't need to be the same and that there's connections that we can forge between those differences and i also agree with the whole like over privatization of spaces yeah. and how that's becoming a harmful thing for us yeah. because it's causing us to withdraw into ourselves and, instead of reaching out to other people. That's part of um, why I started my own um, project, J-Expression. Yeah,
1: I talking a little bit about yeah, the um, involving the yeah. Mm-hmm,
0: because... Um, as a writer what i've noticed is the over institutionalization of poetry and how the only access to poetry and poetry circles is has been inside colleges and universities mm-hmm. and not in like public the public and the communities i don't uh, there's been so many times where i've been asked like do you have an mfa mm-hmm. or like are you going to go to school to get, get an mfa as if the only time your work matters as a poet is Mm. if you have a degree or if you're inside of a school. And I want to encourage writing outside of those spaces that poetry is for everyone. Uh, Poetry is not a luxury, as Audre Lorde said. And so um, with J Expressions, it's a mobile library project that I started a couple of years ago and it's to promote uh, Southeast Queens authors and writers. And so I've been collecting uh, books from various authors in the neighborhood and I'm showcasing th- those books at various places because I am a huge advocate for libraries and space, community spaces where people can have access to um, the literature, to the culture that's in their own communities that they don't have to you know, go to an exclusive space to find those things, that they can find those things where they are.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that I think that in society we too much have this emphasis on, you know, there's, there's always, we need to open up spaces for people to express themselves, mm-hmm. express themselves in form, use poetry as a way or approach to uh, express their truth and express their um, cultural connections, how we connect mm-hmm. to the larger human narrative. So, um, the, um, the, the, how money becomes, you know, it's like, oh, if you, if you haven't paid the institutionalized money, you know, Mm -hmm. MFA is being, you know, that way of a, of a way to put it like an elitist
2: Mm
1: -hmm. tinge to it, Mm -hmm. uh, ring to it. And then, um, to pull out another thread about how we, you know, a lot of times the narrative is that, uh, you know, people talk about equality and such Mm -hmm. people talk about you know, how all people are, are created equal and such. But ultimately, uh, for me at least, the, the term equality doesn't capture um, the deeper truth of that everyone is coming from different places. Equality mm-hmm. seems to kind of be a, a quick way of saying that, you know, I don't know, what do you think about that term and, and, and how mm-hmm. equity versus equity or versus other alternative ways of thinking about the human experience that we're all coming from different cultural mm-hmm. backgrounds and we're all coming from different truths and such.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that you know, the systematically you know we have different we're coming from different places. Mm What are your thoughts on that narrative? Yeah.
0: Um, I agree that the term equality can become problematic because um, oftentimes it's implied that it's wanting to be equal to the dominant group or Mm -hmm. the oppressor. Yeah. It's it's not about dismantling like that. Oppressive um, structure of society yeah. and having a truly like equal level where everybody can actually interact and engage with each other yeah. like that. So yeah. Yeah, I mean
1: I think that the confusion comes in in that uh, you know when we talk about kind of these uh, institutionalized oppressive mm-hmm. systems, that it's the system itself is uh, it's not it's not so much the individual. Perspective, but we have to address the patriarchy, address the mm-hmm. uh, inequalities in uh, capitalist society, and uh, the oligarchy of this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and how the corporate elite has consolidated the sources and kind of controlled mm-hmm. the narrative True. of this country, uh, and also um, kind of you know uh, pitted, pitted individuals against each other. Almost it seems like mm-hmm. kind of demonizing or using the otherification or, you know, mm-hmm. incurring fear and mistrust
2: mm-hmm. in
1: uh, in our communities yeah. and how we can kind of overcome that to be able to find a place where we can uh, all unite against these systems, you know, or mm-hmm. the, you know, rise and kind of, you know, resist balls, how we internalize them, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, and we can't do that if we don't interrogate those yeah. systems we currently live in. Like, I see, uh, for example, they have, you know, they promote like women being CEOs or like the whole lean um, mm. culture without interrogating the issue of um, corporate culture and how that is very destructive to local communities or like promoting tourism culture but not thinking about how that is destructive to like local economies like um, for example in Queens they're building a lot of hotels, but like that's pushing out um, communities that's pushing out uh local businesses, and how is that going to affect you know our culture and how we interact with one another, how we um, build those communities and support one another if we 're constantly fighting over the the little bit of resources that has been given to us.
1: Yeah, I think definitely I agree, and I think that just to amplify one sort of aspect is that you know when we think about um, the structure that the structure that's been put into place, and how one approach is to say you know as you were saying, oh we need more women or, or uh, minorities as CEOs and such, but then you know what ends up happening, and what I've seen, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is that you have these. Um, uh, the individuals from these marginalized or, or kind of groups that are not necessarily, you know, uh, coming into these positions, and then they're simply perpetuating yes. mm-hmm. the very institution that they mm-hmm. were supposed to be. Yeah. You know, they're oppressing the people. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, uh, mm-hmm. so it's like the, the well, a woman will come into a CEO slot, and then she'll be like not giving advantages to other women. So, uh-huh. or, or whatever, or et, cetera, et cetera, That you have. So that that's not the solution, it seems like it's, to me. It's yeah, the, it's
0: the same system. Yeah. same Does system. The face, change the face yeah, that. exactly,
1: exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how we able to interrogate that and understand that, mm-hmm. and you know, I just had a few conversations online yeah. about people about with people about um, you know uh, these problems, and I think that, for example, in the liberal conservative uh, binary of this country, we have this kind of thing that well, if you're not you know, mm-hmm. conservative or Republican, then you have to support, you know, the Democrat liberal, mm-hmm. but I think we need to understand that, and I want to get your perspective on how, um, you know, we need to move beyond just two, two choices, we need to find mm-hmm. a space where all, uh, all the communities as individuals are empowered to, you know, have rights over their own community, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um
0: in a lot of ways I think that's a divide and conquer tactic. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. um it keeps people from actually seeing how those two parties are basically like the oligarchy. Yeah. Where like you have the the small group of like rich people who are controlling everything and then we're having to like decide which group we're gonna side with when they're both basically two sides, almost of the same coin, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, we complain about um, Trump, but Trump is just a symptom of a larger problem that we have that has happened before Trump. Mm. It's before Obama, it's before George Bush. Like, it's a major problem that we as a society that we have to deal with beyond just oh, we're just going to vote somebody else into office and they're just going to replicate the same imperialistic tactics that this country has been doing.
1: Yeah, because if you think about it, it's like, you know, you look back on uh, just in recent years, you know, George W. Bush uh, uh, and uh, Clinton, in many ways they had some, the same endemic problems that mm-hmm. Donald Trump has, but, uh, you know, it's just a question of uh, you know, how you spin it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the media has been amplifying his, Mm -hmm. uh, inability to, uh, articulate himself well in public and such, and, Mm -hmm. but George W. Bush had the same problem, and, you know, and, and Clinton had a lot of the problems, uh, Bill Clinton had a lot of the same problems with indiscretions and such, and, and being able to, you know, so the point is, what I'm trying to get at also is that, you know, it's easy to focus in on, um, Mm -hmm. one specific symptom, but not address the underlying causes, Mm -hmm. so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to like my process of like going back to the past cuz a lot yeah. of us have this kind of cultural amnesia where whatever's happening now is all that's happened and mm. we tend to forget like all the other stuff like now we're celebrating George W. Bush and yeah. think he's normal. Oh, normal? Yeah. and wasn't ha- wasn't doing like war crimes. Yeah. So like it's important for us to constantly remember and to fight against um, the powers that be trying to make us forget.
1: Yeah, and doing it <laughs> in a thoughtful way. I think what yeah. I'm getting also from your discourse is that we're um, we're engaging in a way that is thoughtful and kind of finding pathways that are effective pathways, as mm-hmm. opposed to and how we use language. Like a lot of times people say, they'll just assume you know what they mean, mm-hmm. and it's just such an assumption that when we talk about, oh well, if you if you don't. You know, if you're not going out there picketing for Democrat candidates, then you're like, you know, you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And also in the reverse,
2: mm-hmm. when people
1: say, oh, I don't support the Democratic Party or something, mm-hmm. then you're part, you know, it's like you're this kind of tension of language,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know,
1: that, uh, you know, that, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah it and it keeps us that. from finding
0: alternative answers and alternative meanings for ourselves outside of it's either or, and it's like it's a larger picture than that.
1: You had also some th- item some things you want to discuss as far as the upcoming events that you're going to, or.
0: Uh, yeah, so um, I mentioned J Expressions. I will be starting a new series called the Book Boutique, and so that will be a like open space that's happening at the uh, JCal Jamaica Center of Arts and Learning. And so basically it'll be a monthly event where I will bring my books from my mobile library and the community members can engage with the library. They can take notes. They can participate in many workshops that I'll be running. And um, they can also submit kind of like on the spot, like poems or short fiction into what I'm calling the jam journal jar. So it'll be like a jar there that they can write something and drop in. Um, And I'm also working on a poetic film showcase with uh, the Museum of Moving Image, and I'll be hopefully doing that within the next few months as well. And finally, I'm part of the Southeast Queens Artists Alliance, and we are um, working towards our cart festival, which will happen at King Manor Museum. It will be in the grounds around it. And basically, it'll be a day-long, uh, a day-long festival of interactive pop-up art projects. So my um, mobile library will be there. Um, Regine Lays, who's a paper-making artist, uh, she will have her cart there, um, and there'll be several other projects. About ten, all in all. Good, good. Thank you. And... I've been kind of researching more into the idea of chaos and what chaos means and um, I remember watching a web series um, I think it's called Brujos
2: mm-hmm. it's about
0: like um, like male witches and they had a line in there where they said chaos is not the absence of orders it's a collection of orders and I feel like they were getting at the idea of chaos representing true diversity and yeah. um, and it reminds me of, um, at the end of my manuscript for End, The Water Breaks, because I feel like the water is that, that holder of chaos. It holds all things. And um, I ended the book, because the, the ending section of the book is kind of a a travel through the Zodiac, and then the last part I end with kind of Pisces. Mm. And so that part of the book, the long epic poem I wrote um, explores the idea of what is purity. Yeah. And um, in this you know, like white supremacist culture, we're told um, purity equals whiteness. It yeah. equals the you know absolution of like all other things except whiteness. And for me, the answer for me was purity is blackness mm. because it's the absorption of all things. And for me, that's the true representation of the universe, which is chaos and chaotic.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think the um, definitely, I feel like this uh, uh, aesthetic has become this kind of perpetuation of the ideas of what is the ideal Mm -hmm. has become become really a a vice, Mm -hmm. you know, really a kind of a uh, you know, it's infected. even, you know, in the Asian cultures, mm-hmm. they have uh, this uh, uh, idealization of the light-skinned Indian, or the light-skinned, uh, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and to the disregard or the subjugation of, uh, in India, mm-hmm. you know, people who have a darker skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all Indians, but they're 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 valuing or,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: or placing emphasis on light-skinnedness, and, 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 you know, that's not even addressing the larger global narrative uh-huh. of how... Uh, we need to find, you know, we can't we can't place ourselves on that scale. We need to disrupt the whole scale. We need to find places where mm-hmm. we can inhabit um, and be truthful and be uh, mm-hmm. engaged in the dialogue, mm-hmm. so that that, in uh, you know, for for a scale to be returned to balance, there has to be a weight placed on the other end. You know, yeah. so I think some people may respond and say, oh, well then, you know, this, these terms like reverse racism and such like that become <laughs> popularized. It's such a ridiculous idea because, you know, when the structure is so pivoted towards one end, you know, we need to, we need to counterbalance and we need to, Mm -hmm. or we need to completely disregard the whole scale and and work from a new system, which is, I think, kind of addressing the chaotic element
2: Mm -hmm. of the chaos,
1: introducing chaos into the system Mm -hmm. with the purpose of exposing its flaws, you know? True. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. So this is a good place to kind of uh, close, and I think people need to, you know, the listeners need to go out and investigate for themselves and uh-huh. and not just take our word for it, use the reading rainbow <laughs> uh, motto. Uh-huh. But I look up, you know, your work and and, and, and definitely follow up and mm-hmm. continue to listen to, uh, you know, the show on Truth of Power show on Reading Free Brooklyn. And I hope that... Uh, you know, they'll continue the conversation, engage with the conversation, do that personal mm-hmm. exploration and investigation that you, you've encouraged. Yeah, thank yeah, you.
0: Definitely.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay. This ends the Shoot to Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So if you'd like to support our mission, we can continue, so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radioforbrooklynorg backslash donate. So please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org backslash donate. I also just want to remind you guys that Radio for Brooklyn has a free iPhone and Android app. You just go to the App Store or Google Play, and you can listen to the independent community radio, such as Truth to Power Show, wherever you go. You can sign up for the RFB newsletter, Radio Free Brooklyn. Every month, we'll send you the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events, as well as interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on RFB swag, and more. The emails only come once a month, so we're committed to a spam-free world. You can sign up at backslash newsletter Taking us out is um, Kundalini Genie, a psychedelic experimental group of vagabonds from the nether regions of Glasgow, making uh, rock and roll out of the back of a shoebox, highly inspired by the 60s sound, Indian classical music, funk, jazz, punk, and the blues. Hope you enjoy the music and um, see you next time. Thank you.